back with another episode. Wow. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Another episode of Lost in Thought. Uh, I'm Io here. <laughs> and, um, Michael. Uh, so, basically today we have our first guest interviewee, mm-hmm. and it's something that we've definitely been looking into, mm-hmm. and finally got one scheduled, and hopefully it turns out as well as we planned it. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to introduce John McBroom uh, here. Uh, he's someone that I kind of started to know this summer. Uh, he actually hosts like players from Met City, the summer team I played on, and I kind of got to know him a little bit better and his family. So, here he is, John McBroom. Hey, welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. John, thanks for joining us. Um, so, to provide, to provide a little bit of context, um, not only to you, but also to the listeners, um, basically the whole concept behind this segment, I guess, which will be, is that how you describe it, the yeah. podcast, is to talk to more locally successful people. I think we've addressed this to our listeners over the past few podcasts as an idea we've been floating around, but thanks for being the first one. You bet. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, where we want to start off is just like tell the viewers or the listeners what you do currently and where you're from, things like that. Uh, just a brief background about you. Yeah. Um, well, I live here in Rochester. I've got a wife and two kids, ages 12 and 14. Um, I work as an attorney, in-house attorney at IBM. We have a large uh, kind of research development type facility here in Rochester. <clears throat> um, I also do some coaching of soccer. Coach my daughter's soccer team. I've coached my son's basketball team. Um, kind of in the past, so that's what I spent a lot of my time on. So between being a father, husband, soccer coach, and lawyer, that's that's pretty much my my day to day. So you say uh, you work at IBM. Like, what's your day to day? What do you do day, on a day to day basis? So you know, my role at IBM is kind of a fun one because I support and provide legal support to a certain set of products. Okay. and offerings that we sell to customers. Mm-hmm. And my job is really to provide whatever sort of business and legal advice that I think I can as we as we develop those products and as we sell them and get them out the door. Um, it involves, on a given day, it could involve you know lots of different things. It could be helping negotiate a contract with a vendor for something that we want to purchase to use in our product or to use to develop our product. It also could be, be something that um, there's a problem with the product and how do we go out and talk to our customers and the marketplace or the government or whatever it may be yeah. that may have questions about it. And, and again, you really never know. Um, it's much like you know something in your daily life where you never know what's going what's gonna to come up if you've got kids or something, you never know, you know, what it's going to be. So it's a lot of different issues that come up on a day-to-day basis. Do you like that part of the, the job? I, I do like that. I do like that. It's not for everybody mm-hmm. um, because there is no kind of playbook. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a tax lawyer, you know, you've got kind of a tax code and you can always kind of pull out a book and look yeah. through it and look for an answer. Yeah. A lot of times I'm getting pulled in with little to no advanced warning on something that I may never have really looked at mm-hmm. before and have to go and start helping the business figure out how how to deal with it. One of the nice things and the things I like about it, it's not just limited to legal stuff. A lot of times it's, you know, how we're going to be perceived in the marketplace or by our customers and trying to help the business kind of think through all the possible um, consequences of various you know, pieces of action. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess, uh, did you start IBM right after you graduated, or where? Did I you didn't. Start out at? I didn't. I <clears throat> so I went to St. John's University, majored in political science, um, minor in history. Um, I f- I knew in college I probably wanted to go to law school. Okay. For me, it was a question of am I going to go to grad school for political science and be a political science professor, mm-hmm. or am I going to go to law school and become a lawyer? And I ultimately decided to go with law, went right into law school, went to Duke University down in North Carolina, uh, did that for three years, then got a job, very lucky to get a job working for a federal judge in Minneapolis. So came back to Minneapolis, 
um, worked for her for a year as her clerk, which is basically like her attorney, right? I would help her write opinions and do research for her and all those things. Those are usually short-term gigs. I did that for a year. And then I went to work for a large law firm called Fagri and Benson up in the Twin Cities. And for almost five years, I did litigation, um, counseling in labor and employment law to um, employers, primarily in the state of Minnesota, but we had some clients kind of countrywide. And then it was from there that I got a call from a headhunter asking if I'd be interested in going in-house at IBM in Rochester, and I'd heard Rochester was a great place to live and raise a family, and mm-hmm. so I went and took a look at it, and, and was lucky enough to get get the gig. Awesome. And you've been here for how long now? Thirteen years. Awesome. So I guess uh, growing up, did you have like an outlook that you wanted to be a lawyer? Like, what were your dreams as a kid growing up? Yeah, you know, my dad was a high school football coach when I was really small, okay. and then he moved into administration. Uh, in school, he was a teacher and a coach, <clears throat> and I think for a while I I thought about you know hey it'd be great to be, um, a, a coach and a teacher, um, but then you know I had some other things that I dabbled with like in junior high like in ninth grade we read Romeo and Juliet and all of a sudden I wanted to be a Shakespearean actor, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny but you know that was it and then probably by the time I was a sophomore or a junior I think the idea of going to law school and being a lawyer was was something that I was interested in. It suited kind of the the, the things that I did well in school, the subjects I liked in school, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be a path to open up to the kind of life, I guess, that I would like to live. I didn't really probably think too much about it, but I figured that I could make some sort of wage and have interesting jobs and experiences um, if, I went, if I went to law school. And I thought it'd be also, I guess, interesting Mm-hmm. Um, to do that, especially since I was not a science guy. Yeah. I mean, I was okay at science. In fact, some of my teachers would really make me nervous when they'd go suggest yeah. to my parents I go into math or <laughs> physics or something because yeah. that was not my thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting because I know a lot of people don't really know what they want to do mm-hmm. in the future, and you like kind of knew early on, I did. I'd say like junior or senior year, a lot of people go into college still not knowing exactly where they want to be. Do you mind speaking on the decision? You, I think you mentioned earlier about deciding either to go to law school or to go to grad school for the education. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, that was a tough one because I think if you would have told me back then that I could teach constitutional law at St. John's University um, and be a professor at St. John's or Wartburg, <laughs> um, I would not have gone to law school. I would have gone to get my doctorate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I knew through talking to some professors at St. John's who were, you know, had that job that, you know, grad school is a long process to get your doctorate. And then even when you get there, you know, jobs at, for example, a small liberal arts school where I would like to teach, you know, not in front of a big group and not have to do a bunch of research, but really, really teach and teach students, that would be, that would be a difficult road. And I might find a way to make that happen. But, you know, I might have to live in, you know, Idaho or, you know, Florida or something, or places that I didn't want to necessarily live. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that if I went to law school and if I knew I went to a place like Duke, I could probably live wherever I wanted to live and I would get a job and I'd get a good job yeah. when I came out of there. And mm-hmm. so it was just the fact that there were just so few of those, you know, professor opportunities um, compared to, you know, what a law school degree at a really good law school could get you. Um, I know we had, like, a brief conversation before about, like, a deal you had with IBM. You don't have to get into it too much, but it was a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. How did is, that come about, or you took the lead role on that? Yeah, so um, we, IBM purchased a company called Red Hat last fall. Um, and the, the price was around $34 billion, which is one of the largest IT acquisitions I've heard in, in U.S. history. And one of the women that I used to work for in the law department, my second manager at IBM, she had taken on a whole new role around um, that acquisition. Mm-hmm. And she pulled me in. Um, you know, with other folks in the law department's blessing, but she pulled me in to help work on that. And one part of that in particular, which is 
Um, anytime there's an acquisition of one company of another that have a certain size, it has to get reviewed by antitrust authorities, you know, in various places around the world. And so I was helping kind of coordinate um, our outside counsel that we were hiring in different places here in the United States, but also around the world to help, you know, coordinate some of those activities along with um, some other folks in the law department. Because and until you get permission from those governments to close, you can't close the the acquisition. So it sounds a little funny, but you, you buy the company, mm-hmm. but that is all subject to getting certain approvals. Um, and so this is probably, you know, maybe the biggest deal monetary wise that I ever that I ever work on and it was it was wonderful because I got to work with you know not only my my former manager um, but I got to meet a lot of new attorneys um, that I hadn't maybe I knew of them in the law department but I hadn't worked with them for example a guy um, in in Israel another one of our attorneys in Spain and and it was just phenomenal uh, we had a, I hosted a conference call every morning, video conference call where we got on and talked about the latest status of things around the yeah. world. And so, you know, we really got to develop relationships with those people doing a call, you know, basically every, every weekday, every workday, um, especially a video one as well. With a deal of that magnitude, did you have to work really long hours, would you say? You, you sir, yes. And, and, you know, the way that we staff these is, is we don't, we don't, you know, have just a group that only does these things. We have to pull in people like me who are who have other responsibilities, another set of products that you support, mm-hmm. and um, they'll ask, you know, hey, do you want to get in on this? And you know, you've got a decision to make. You know, do you want to get in on this? Um, and but it's it's going to be on top of usually it's going to be on top of whatever else you're doing, and so you know that, that you're going to end up you know, putting in extra time and stress. Um, but at the same time, I, again, it was, it was really a no-brainer to get in on this because of the people that I knew who were leading it from our side and being able to work with them. I knew them. Um, and so that made it all that much, all that much, much easier. What kind of timeline was that? Project? So, <clears throat> you know, we were, we were really trying to get it Closed. So again, it's signed. Mm-hmm. Trying to get cl- it closed, get those permissions, mm-hmm. you know, as fast as possible, really, because, you know, when you've spent that money, you you want to start getting a return on that investment yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, and so, um, but because of the size of the deal, and because you know, IBM stands for International Business Machines, and we really are international. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got we've got, you know. We've got operations all over the world, so there were more than just a handful of countries that we had to go get this permission from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up, I think, it was June that we finally closed. So that's you know from last fall to June. It's probably a matter of you know eight months. Probably it took us to get that, and that may seem like a long time, but actually, you know, we were we were really happy with yeah. how how quick that happened, mm-hmm. um, and we really did. You know, pretty much everything we could do to try to make it go as fast as we could. Makes sense. So obviously that was a pretty successful um, thing you helped in on, but I think a topic of this uh, conversation we wanted was to define like what you think success is and how you would go about uh, defining it yourself or yeah. what your opinions are. It's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think I think it has changed. You know, because when 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 I was in high school and thinking about being a lawyer, I mean, you think about being a, you know, some sort of hotshot lawyer, right? Who's in the courtroom and everybody's hanging off all you know all your your words, um, and then I think, you know, you 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 go out and you, you know, whatever. If you get married or you have a family, or you know, you realize that you know, let's say you you played sports all through high school. And that's a really important thing to you. Yeah. And so you start to think, well, wow, it's really hard, you know, to to be a super successful, busy, hotshot trial lawyer and, and coach your, you know, your kids' yeah. soccer team. Mm-hmm. And so you start having to, to look at success, you know, much more, much more broadly, um, 
And I think, I think especially once you get to a certain level in your career where you're working on, you know, you're, you're, you're making enough money that you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. And you're getting interesting work. And as we were just talking about, I mean, this was, this was, you know, fantastic, exciting, kind of exhilarating to work on this huge deal with colleagues and lawyers from outside counsel all over the world. If you can pepper some of those experiences in with just, you know, good work-life balance mm -hmm. and being able to be involved in the community and look to as a leader in the community, you might find that it's, 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 you know, you're, you're more successful than, than had you just done one thing. Now, I think it does depend on, on every person. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it really, success comes down to being happy, but I think you really need to think about what it means to be happy to you before you make that, that exactly. decision. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta think it through and you know, if you think it through and say, hey, look, you know, I want to be known as, as the best trial lawyer, one of the most successful trial lawyers in the state of Minnesota, I think that that is a, a noble goal and could be a very successful thing. But I think you want to think about, you know, what goes into that and what do you yeah. need to put into that. And you might decide that it's not worth it, even as cool as that would be. It's not worth it if you and you can take another another path. Um, so I really think introspection is a key, a key piece of that. There's a book, um, there's a, there's a, one of my favorite books and it's by an author named Kazuo Ishiguro and it is, I can't remember the name now, they made it into a movie, but it's about a butler and he spent his whole life working for this, um, guy that he thought was, he was a kind of an English noble. And he thought his life was really, really valuable, having worked for him. Well, he gets kind of disgraced over supporting, I think it's some Nazi ideals or something. And so the guy that he was working for is disgraced, and all that goes away, and he's just left with nothing. And I remember in, at St. John's, I was in a class where we talked about this, and there was like, well, he seemed to be happy at the time. I mean, he was doing all this. He didn't care that he didn't really have a life outside of working for this guy. But, but I seemed to think there was something wrong because he never really seemed to actually sit down and, and ask himself the question, is, is this what I want to be doing or should be doing? Now, you may not have the opportunity to change just because, you know, if you, if you don't have the opportunities, that's, that's a different question. But he, he never... He never thought twice about it until 20 years after the fact. And then you could see him replaying it, and you could see him, I think, starting to really question whether, you know, not having a family and not going to his dad's bedside when he was dying, you know, was, was really the, the best way. And that's what I think is what I was referring to about, you know, really think about what, what really is going to make you happy. And then, and then if you can execute on that, you're in good shape. Can no. you speak to? Oh, sorry. Can, you, can you speak to the introspection piece a little bit? I guess um, my question would be more: in what type of, in what kind of increments would you say it's? Because it's if you're constantly redefining success, then it's I feel like it's harder to reach success, even though it might be constantly redefining. For example, your idea of success as a child might be some professional athlete apparently I always said YouTubers is now yeah. top like three or something like that for kids um, but how would you say one goes about balancing their changing views of success and actually taking action so being introspective and then actually acting upon becoming successful or reaching success yeah I think well I think you probably just need to recognize if you do come to some conclusions or at least some conclude that they are temporary and that I think you need to keep evaluating it because again, your life is your life is is gonna is gonna change, and so I think that you know at the end of the day, if if it does change and you are acting, you know, pursuing maybe a path that you've decided to change, I think if you went in there and told yourself, well, that's I did think about it and I thought seriously about it. I may have even talked to other people about it, and then that's what I decided to do. Then I think you just let that go and you don't really you know, look back. Um, and I think you just understand that, 
you know, and I, and I can tell you that you do, you do change you do, and you can change quite a bit. And so I, what I would say to you is that if you do change, um, it's probably, it's probably not a, a sense of being inconsistent, but it's just the right, it's just, it's the right thing for you. And that's going to happen. And I, but I do think it'll be easier for you to accept that you changed if you actually can say, well, I, I thought about it before. Something that I wanted to talk about, I know we've talked about it before with like happiness now, uh, with the money aspect, how can, do you think money can buy happiness? This question we've talked um, about. I think, it, I think it really does help up to a certain point, and then I think at some point it, 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 it probably even, you know, hurts. hurts. Yeah. yeah. I think it probably even hurts. I mean, I know that, you know, money is always a difficult thing, like even in a family. I mean, if you're worried about money and other things, it, you know, that can be very, very stressful. Yeah. And I think, um, um, and I think that that can invade, you know, kind of how much you're able to kind of just enjoy your day to day. And if you feel secure, I think financially, you're probably more willing to go out and try, try new experiences or do different things. You probably have more time to do that actually as well because you're, you're not worrying about, hey, I need to get, you know, another promotion at work so that, you know, I can get a, have enough bedrooms for all my kids in my house. I mean, it's tough to then say, well, I'm going to coach my kid's soccer team in that instance, right? So I think, mm-hmm. I think there is a measure of it. But af- after a certain point, I, I do think it's, it's, it's not all that helpful and, again, probably... Even uh, even causes problems. Something interesting, I guess, that we've spoken about a little bit outside of the podcast, um, but I don't think on the podcast so far, is kind of balancing your maybe what you want to do versus what is going to what is most likely to lead you to the lifestyle that you want to lead. So money, for example, um, what kind of balance do you think there is to find there so for example if there's a major that you're interested in pursuing but perhaps it's not going to give you the lifestyle that you want what um how do you view that I guess yeah I think that would be a really difficult question I think if you're well informed and you've talked to people and if that major or that that career um, you think is really important to you, I think it's probably worth, it's probably worth going for it. Um, because I think especially in today's world, there's a lot of opportunity to be able to go and change things down the road. I mean, if you want to be a doctor, it's pretty hard. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta take science courses in in high school, in college, (laughs) right? And, you know, and then you got to go to med school and whatnot. But, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends and former classmates who have started out in one thing and found their way into another. And so I think that if you get into something and you're not making the money that you, you, you think you need and it's not as rewarding of a career, I think if you, if you really work at it, I think, and are smart about it, you can probably find a different path to get you, you know, what you want monetarily. Mm-hmm. I think something I wanted to get into a little bit uh, was your take on where society is now, uh, or how it's grown or lessened since you were a kid, like where you see it going in the future. So this is this is one of the things I oftentimes get on a soapbox about, um, and I, I it's it's probably funny I haven't already got up my soapbox about it with you, Io. But I, yeah. but I think society has come come so far from when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I I tell my kids, you know, when your grandpa was a kid, you know. African Americans in the South were were being murdered without well, and not just the South, I suppose. I mean, you know, other places well, but murdered really without in some cases any consequences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we are you know, we've we've come a long way from that. Yeah. And 
you know, when I would, was a kid, I mean, homophobia was rampant. And, you know, bullying and stuff in schools was, by today's standards, terrible. And, um, and I think we, I don't think people really appreciate or understand that. Um, but there's a, there's an author, Steven Pinker, who wrote a book on this, trying to actually go in and like quantify the amount of violence and murders and rapes and child abuse and from, you know, over the last 2000 years Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, tell us about how we are we are treating each other better and better each each year. And again, not that that means that there aren't problems and aren't problems everywhere, but it's pretty easy to find some really, really terrible experiences and situations yeah. that is hard to fathom all over the earth, you know, 100 years ago, 50 mm-hmm. years ago. And it's I think those have reduced now to something so interesting because right now there's still like a lot of media attention on the bad things that happen but if you look at it the way you're looking at it like a hundred years ago black people were getting killed like off the streets and now Mm -hmm. it's like yeah it might like still be happening a little bit but it's nowhere to the extent of where it was so if you look at it from that perspective you think that we are growing in society but you can Oh, I was just going to say, it'd be interesting to see how... I don't remember the... Uh, Pink Steven, Steven Pinker. It'd be interesting it's, to see um, how he... Angels of Our Better it. Nature, I think, okay. is the name is the name of the book. But he breaks it down. I mean, he even shows, like, old... Even as, like, old advertisements for, like, household goods. And, like, one of them kind of suggests that you should, you know, hit your... From the 50s or 40s, that you should hit your wife if she doesn't, you know, make this for you or use this because she's not being a good you know wife mm-hmm. and again I think um, I, you know for women I think again things have opened up so much more than yeah. they ever have and I think that people people let the fact that it's not perfect or it's not great get in the way of recognizing the, um, the amount of progress it's really interesting to look at we're listening to a podcast about uh, uh, the one on Logan Paul where that guy was talking about how women should stay at home and not uh, work as much, and he still believes that right now. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, that's... <clears throat> I mean, it's, that sounds crazy, yeah, right? Yeah. It sounds crazy, but I think, you know, I think decades ago that was much more, you know, accepted, and, you know, as a, as a father of a daughter, I don't know. I mean, did you tell your daughter that, or yeah, did you just yeah. kind of let that all... You know, go under. So I mean, society has really, I think, changed to become much more um, accepting. I also think that that economically, uh, and there's some there's some Twitter accounts and other things that I follow, um, but they will point out like statistics about the amount of hours, for example, that your average American worked like mm-hmm. in 1930. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a heck of a lot more than what it is now. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have nearly what we did have. Um, and so people were working long hours um, in, in difficult, bad conditions, sometimes mm-hmm. unsafe conditions, um, and scraping by to live in a small house. And, and now, again, you know, not everybody, but there's a general abundance. And the statistics, if you get into it, will, will bear that out. Yeah, I guess we. This is something we've been kind of talking about um, over the past couple of podcasts, um, more in relation to technology and how that's changed our society. And we keep coming back to the whole idea of if the past, if the, for the past twenty, thirty years, for example, you couldn't have imagined, I don't know, a quarter of the jobs that exist right now. How would you say, for example, that us or people should prepare ourselves for, for the future? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. We Assuming we we you know we've got a we've got a large IP law department, intellectual property law group at IBM in Rochester, and they're kind of engineer type guys, and they're always kind of focused in on this technology and kind of removing jobs. But I really think that when you when you get down to it, if you are um, if you have a personality, if you have a, a strong work ethic, a good personality, and are smart and likable 
kind of like I was saying before about picking a major and then changing. I think I think there's a lot of different avenues to find ways to be successful, and I really think that it, you know at the end of the day, the, what's going to be in the future is is people like to hire and work with people that are likable, mm-hmm. and and likable and <coughs> and at least seem smart. Yeah. And so I I really think that if you can if you can develop those softer skills. I think you'll you'll land and be successful even into the future because again you know people again want to surround themselves with those folks and people that can um, be creative and work hard and get stuff done um, and do so with a smile on their face and whatever I think they'll I think they'll be just I think they'll be fine. Um, something we've kind of talked about here was how do you view failure and how would you go about like teaching failure to like your kids or things like that? Failure's role in success. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard. Um, you know, when you do fail at something, it's hard to be, um, it's hard to really spend a lot of time thinking about it, even though, you know, I think we oftentimes tend to, I don't know what I would, how I would define, define failure. I think it's probably, probably, it probably is how, how poorly you, you feel about it. If you think about it and you feel really poorly about it, maybe you weren't prepared. I mean, I don't always think something's a failure. I mean, if you, if you, if the twins signed me today and threw me out in the mound tomorrow and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I walked like the first eight guys, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't think I'd really consider that, you know, a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really look at kind of stuff like that. So I think, I think you need to look at, I think, first of all, for me, a failure is where, you know, it's something that you could have done, you know, maybe with work and, and some preparation. Um, but if, if you don't, you don't do that or you, you don't do something that I think you otherwise think you could have, I think that's probably what I would say would be a failure. And, boy, I think if you can, if you can, it's really, it's really easy, you hear it a lot, but I think if you can learn from your failures, mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably a great way, it's a great way to be successful, yeah. if you can learn from it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't destroy your confidence, mm-hmm. if it doesn't taint you with some sort of black mark that's going to follow you, you know, and keep yeah. you from getting a job or whatever, um, I, I certainly think it can. I mean, if I come in and I do this podcast with you guys and, and just realize, boy, I didn't prepare at all and whatever, and then the next time I get a chance to go speak in front of a group, you know, it's I would think, learn. hopefully, hopefully I would learn yeah. from that and come into that, you know, being being prepared. And sometimes you got to get lucky in that respect. I mean, sometimes you can get, you know, you, you may be, especially if you're younger, you may get burned a little bit, but if it really doesn't harm you or hurt you, it may be exactly the learning that you need. Um, as long as, again, as it doesn't carry some sort of, some sort of black mark. So sometimes when, you know, when one of my friends, one of our kids does something stupid or whatever, if you really think they learn from it, I mean, I'll point that out. Like, yeah. hey, look, I mean, this might save them from a couple of years when they're a little bit older doing mm-hmm. something really, really stupid that would keep them from getting into college or something. Mm-hmm. So I think I think there's an opportunity there. And if you do kind of float through things without ever running into trouble, I think um, I think if you do run into trouble and when you do run into trouble or you do fail at something later on, I, think, I, I don't think you're as resilient, mm-hmm. to be honest. Do, do you have any examples in your life that you would... Are able to come out um, off the top of your head, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I. John doesn't fail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was there was a couple there was a couple clerkships, you know, coming out of law school that I thought I might get, and I and I didn't I didn't get them. Now I ended up getting one, so mm-hmm. it 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 yeah. it all it all kind of worked out. It all worked yeah. out. But, you know, I remember, you know, thinking, geez, you know, should I have studied more in law school? Should I have, whatever, taken off some time in between to do some, get some work experience and come out of law school a little bit older? Um, but, um, 
but that wasn't going to be a real make or break thing for my for my career. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you know you're working on a project or something. Even now, you you, you fail. But I also realize that if you just sit there and focus on your failure, what you're going to do is you're probably going to continue to fail because what you need to do is you need to be focused on the right, on, on, on the right things. And worrying about screwing up is not going to help in that. Now, learning that maybe you need to prepare in advance and worrying about preparing mm-hmm. may help you. But worrying about about just failure and just obsessing over it is not going to be um, is not going to be beneficial, mm-hmm. and that's a real good way to kind of get into a get into a hole. Sense. So, kind of going off that, I know like in society right now, there's a big thing of like participation trophies. Like, if a team loses or something like in sports, and a team loses, you still get like a participation medal. How do you kind of? feel about that and where society is heading with that like no one's no one's a loser yeah I mean I think I've seen that up so just looking at my two kids you know that does occur you know early on but I think by the time you get to you know 12 13 14 they don't hand out those anymore is my general and and I think that for the for the younger kids I think it, I think it is a I think it's probably a good thing because even just the way the things are set up, it's not set up to like distill down to be a to be a winner. And really, you are tr- trying, especially like with soccer. And I need to remind myself this, you know, before games, during games, is that especially at the ages of that of soccer I'm coaching is like age twelve. You're really still really trying to develop them rather mm-hmm. than than win. Yeah. And I think that. Um, Again, maybe the participation trophy has now gotten so maligned that you might as well just just drop it. But I think it does help put focus on the fact that, you know, at 8, 9, 10 years old, what you really want the kids to do is say, look, it, um, um, you know, you, you did something. And, in fact, I tell my team teams this. I say, it, it, and you guys would know this being athletes. When you're an athlete, you go out in a field in front of a bunch of people, and you can fail, and you can fail big time. And that just in and of itself, putting yourself out there on the line, is worth is worth something, because especially like basketball, I've, I've seen is a very intimidating sport, and I don't. I'm trying to figure out why that is. Maybe because you're inside in this gym, and there's five people on the floor, and everybody is like circling around it. Soccer, football, the field is really big, and kind of the fans are far away. But it, it's a very very intense situation. And when you like turn over the ball or airball a shot, everybody knows it's yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And and so I really do think. And kids, you know, are scared of failure. In fact, I think they're scared of failure. Many kids are scared of failure. More scared of failure than they are wanting to succeed. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's a that's not that's not good. And so I think, especially at those younger ages, encouraging people to just get out there and put themselves on the line. Is probably a, I think, uh, you know, a good, a good thing. I think like growing up and like getting to college, I had this uh, mindset that I hated losing more than I loved winning, because I was just so competitive. I think that's something that just grew on me as I grew older. From like seventh, eighth grade, I knew like if I was gonna play soccer competitively, I wanted to win. I didn't want to be a loser, like get a participation trophy. So I think. Starting maybe starting participation trophies like, like the ages you said seven six seven is a good idea. But I think at some point you have to realize that these sports are competitive. They're made to be competitive, so there shouldn't be mm-hmm. areas just to feel like everyone's a winner. Yeah, I think I, I guess from my opinion, I agree with that. I guess throughout the process of starting as a kid, I don't I don't know how I'm, I don't really want to speak on the participation medals. Um, but I think some of the biggest things that I learned was kind of uh, calling back to what you said before about um, being successful in the future is over time you kind of learn that winning is important but what's more important is other people wanting to play with you kind of um, like you spoke about before you want to work with people that are talented and that are going to come with a smile on their face every day um, and then you kind of learn over time 
Like for me, for example, from a personal standpoint, I used to be a terrible competitor. I used to be just terrible when I lost. It was really bad. Um, but as a, you grow older, you kind of realize, if you attribute it to life, I guess, from it's more of a progress standpoint than it is this end goal of first, second, third, fourth. Especially if you apply it to life. I don't think life is something where you can really concretely say this person's first, second, third, fourth. Yeah. Over time, it's not that type of game. But yeah. I, I've changed significantly like that as well. I, I was never a bad loser, but I, you know, when the competition was going on, I, I wanted to win. And you'd say or do things, you know, yeah, that you, you wouldn't. In the moment. Yeah, yeah. That you wouldn't, that now I wouldn't want my son or daughter yeah. to do. Um, and now, again, at, at my age, I'm, I'm again, I'm, when I go out and play tennis with people, because that's kind of what I do now, and I'll sometimes play with beginners, and I don't go out and try to, like, destroy them mm-hmm. to make myself feel better. In fact, I go out of my way to kind of, I want to make sure that, like, it is, yeah. as you said, I want them to come back next Friday, and, you know, again, when I, when you come up with, like, what do you enjoy, and you know, what's being a success. I mean, if you've got a group of guys that get together and play tennis every Friday morning and enjoy it and like each other and go, yeah. I mean, that, that is, uh, I think that, that's really what, and now in my life I'm looking for as that's, opposed to. That seems like more long-term. That's pretty interesting because Mike, we play on a men's league team here <laughs> on Sundays and Mike always wants to take it like really easy. He wants to be like nice to the opposite, opposition because they're like older and like, it depends. Probably not yeah. as killed. But I want to win, but I don't want to destroy, destroy people, typically. Even though they destroyed Unless, the team 13-2 to today. But Yeah. I think there's a balance between being respectful and showing up and actually trying instead of just messing around, and that's pretty, that can be really disrespectful, I think. And I think it can have, it can have impacts mm. on your future because, I mean, if you, if you compete, like in college against somebody and then later on you run into them in business again oh yeah I mean I, and I think that's probably something that, that again you gotta you gotta think through when you start to realize um and you you see that I mean I, I competed against some kids in high school and then we ended up at college together mm-hmm. right yeah. and I mean <laughs> you you know and, and you realize that they're you know they're a, they're a good guy and, yeah. and all that and you wanna be able to do that and and you want to be able to have those relationships, and but if you're going over, you know, burning bridges everywhere, yeah. and and it's really easy to do in mm-hmm. sports, and and for whatever reason, you know, I think is that people do think it's kind of okay just mm-hmm. to try to kind of win. I I don't know. Maybe people feel the same way about like business. I would tend to think yeah. not. Mm-hmm. I think it's more accessible. It's it's more acceptable to kind of you know go and, and try to I'll go all to win a sports competition but if you were in some sort of other competition you know other competition you know a baking competition or a design competition people would think you're crazy yeah. <laughs> to yeah. do some of that stuff or even business right I mean you're yeah. trying to fight for an account I mean yeah. you know you this is uh, all about like building yeah. relationships you don't really want to have that attitude where you're only doing this to get yeah. a contract signed or get some value in return you're just yeah. looking for a relationship builder where you can continue to grow your contacts mm-hmm. or at least that's what I kind of learned in the business world where business is really all about building relationships and gaining connections to then build your platform or mm-hmm. your business's brand or whatever it is I would say I think the biggest difference between the sports analogy and the business analogy it's kind of there's there's a there's a balance in sports where you have a respect for each other where after the game or after whatever you're playing is over, you're able to see, like, you have the respect for the other team. Like, you don't hold the grudge anymore. Like, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. Whereas in the business world, it feels like if somebody goes out and really burns you, then that's not something, it's hard to just drop something after after someone does something like that. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, There's it, no respect for cheating in the business world or whatever no. you want to call it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of the la- one of the last things we want to talk about is just learn about some of your hobbies and what you like to do for fun. I know mm-hmm. uh, I was here that one night you showed me your little scotch and whiskey collection. If you want to yeah. get into that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I've got, I've kind of re- just gotten into whiskey a little bit. And again, it's, 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 we've got, I've got a club with a few other 
guys, and we call it a club, but it's just it's basically we, we get together um, and try out a different type of whiskey. Um, everybody brings a bottle or two. We go in together and buy um, maybe a more expensive one that we normally wouldn't buy on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that's, that's really, it's as much about the friendships and kind of being able to do that as, um, you know, as the whiskey. And the other thing is, is when you bring other people in like that, they all have different backgrounds mm-hmm. with whiskey. And so we've learned a lot about it yeah. because some of us were, they all, we only drink scotch, which is this, you know, whiskey from Scotland. And then another guy drank bourbon mm-hmm. and, you know, I had never really tried many yeah. bourbons. I didn't know anything about it, but pretty soon, you know, I did learn a lot about it and found it was interesting and kind of developed a liking for that and vice versa. <clears throat> he started buying scotches yeah. and yeah. liking it. So, so I enjoy that. <clears throat> I like to watch, uh, soccer. I like to watch soccer a lot. Um, I like, I like both the technical and tactical aspects, um, of soccer. And then I think traveling or experience is probably another hobby of mine. I really, I, I like to, to, I've always been enamored with Europe ever since I was a little kid. And so I try to get there as, as often as I can. So those are kind of my, my hobbies. I talked about the soccer coaching you know that yeah. that goes in there, but I think you know watching all the soccer really really helps. Yeah. And it does it does show you different types of players playing and that can be successful in different positions. Maybe even mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily think about. Just a few questions off that: uh, How many bottles of whiskey do you have? I know I was was it like eight or something? You had eight or six, maybe. Yeah. And then what is like? <clears throat> which one was your? Mo- you're talking about one of your most expensive ones. You know I probably have. <laughs> 20 oh my. or 25 I think my um my favorite whiskey is a is a whiskey is a scotch it's called Signet and it's by uh, a, a whiskey distillery named Glenmorangie and um it's got a it's it's got a mix of lots of different aged of whiskeys that get mm-hmm. put together to try to create um the ultimate whiskey correct <laughs> Correct, and it's um, this is a really some really old stuff in there that gives it a, some certain characteristics, but I think they must use they use some younger stuff in there too that also, um, and you know when these guys are creating these things, I mean they're really looking for kind of balance, right? Or yeah. you know how does this play off of this and that? So that's probably one of my <clears throat> that's probably my favorite. Um, that's probably my favorite scotch is the Signet by Glen Morangi. Um, get into soccer a little bit. Uh, sure. What's your favorite soccer? Uh, I don't think I know. Soccer is it, team? Is it mm-hmm. Spurs? No, I, um, it's not Spurs. It's Arsenal. So Arsenal. Trajan, my son is is Spurs, and I'm I'm a fan of okay. of um, their arch rivals, Arsenal. And I I selected them because I really liked the way they played. You know, they really passed the ball and moved played. the ball Pure very played. well. Played. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Past yeah. <laughs> well, yes. <clears throat> they still do a little bit of that. I yeah. hope they don't lose it. In fact, you know, they in some ways, I, I would prefer that they keep their identity, even if it meant that they didn't win the Premier League. I mean, I'm kind of one of those guys where I just, I, I really kind of like and appreciate the, the way that they play. And they're not the only ones that play soccer yeah. that way, but mm-hmm. just, you know, just very unselfish, moving the ball, passing the ball around. Um, and it just looks really, really, really really beautiful, but, you know, I probably am not a true Arsenal fan because I don't hate Spurs. I do hate some teams, but I just don't, (laughs) I do, I do dislike them, but that's because they, you know, they have a a billionaire owner, I think, or owners who, you know, who buy everything, so that's, so that's, that's a strike against, um, that for them. Um, but I, I do, even there, when you ask me about that, <clears throat> it's hard for me to see people kind of fail and be skewered for their performances. Because mm-hmm. um, when I first started watching the Premier League, Manchester United, you know, had, had, had was seeing some tougher times because their manager, Sir Alex, had moved on. Yeah. And a lot of people really enjoyed being able to, to point out you know how poorly they were doing, or if yeah. they lost, or all of that. 
and I have been I have not been around to see them kind of dominate and and kind of dislike them as a result of it. Yeah. So I what I really did is I felt bad for these guys who who I think were you know were were really good players, yeah. but they weren't they weren't at the same level that they had been at for not always, but for most of the yeah. previous decade or so. Mm-hmm. And so I <clears throat> I felt bad for those guys because you know they could have been on another team. <coughs> And, you know, as long if they were on the, the Manchester United team that was disappointing, it, you know, they would have been viewed, I think, much, much more differently. Yeah. And I just can see to see myself if I was in that role and would just, you know, hate for people to think I'm terrible when I could walk on almost any pitch in the world <laughs> and completely dominate everybody. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask a question. Who would you say... Is the best player Ronaldo or Messi? I would go Messi. Messi, interesting. I would go. I would go Messi. I think. I think it does depend a little bit on on the type of team that you have. I mean, if if you don't have a lot of options, I think it's great to just kind of go go long to Cristiano, and he's big, strong, physical. I mean, he can just kind of win some goals, kind of you know, on his own. But. If you've got a good team, I think, you know, put Messi in the middle of that. I think he just makes everybody better. Not that Cristiano doesn't as well, but, mm-hmm. you know, Cristiano, I mean, his some of his brilliance is like what he can do for Portugal where they have a stiff defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just get the ball to him and kind of he's able to make stuff happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I am going to tend to go to the guy that kind of plays more a team-oriented player, somebody a little bit more in the middle of the pitch okay. than somebody just up top yeah so we can move on to your traveling how many countries have you visited you know that's a good question i don't know the number i mean it's pretty limited i mean i feel bad about this but i mean all virtually all my trips have been to europe and for the most part only scandinavia western europe okay um i really haven't been to eastern europe i mean the furthest east i've been is like vienna i think stockholm was technically further east but you know it's it fits in kind of the scandinavian countries Mm. Um, but just that hopefully I can get to more places outside of that once I don't have kids and don't have to kind of build my travel schedule around either the summer or, or spring break because, you know, the further East you go into Europe, you spend more time traveling. Whereas, you know, you could, you can oftentimes get a direct flight from Minneapolis to Paris or Minneapolis to London. Mm. And when you only have a certain amount of vacation days and the kids only have a certain number of days out of school, you you kind of end up doing what you can to kind of maximize. Uh, I mean, even as it is, I fly back and I go to work the next day. Mm -hmm. So where was your favorite place to visit? You know, I think I really liked Spain. And, you know, especially if you're from Minnesota, I think Spain and Italy are... Are, or the upper Midwest. I think Spain and Italy are great places to go because they've got culture, they've got food, they've got good weather, and things are much different mm-hmm. than here. You know, if you're from California, then maybe you want to go to, like, Germany or Norway and see the fjords and the forests and the whatever. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, coming from Minnesota, you know, Spain and Italy are... They, they do feel like a much different place. I mean, there's some parts of Germany or like, especially in Scandinavia, you get it, it starts to feel a little bit like Minnesota mm-hmm. or more like Minnesota. Makes yeah. sense. Um, to end the podcast, we kind of had, came out with like, so this is, yeah, this is standardized going to, questions. Yeah, some three standardized questions that I think we yeah. asked everybody. You know. To everyone that we're going to interview. Uh, so basically, if you could have a meal with one person, who would it be? Any person in the world, past and it present. It could be maybe, Yeah. You can do one present only, and then one pass. I would probably go, without having thought all the way through it, you know, Abraham Lincoln comes to mind. I'm listening to a book on tape right now, a narrative of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really, really complicated and difficult and bad situation that he was in. And when I when I... And listening to this, I hear about like what the newspaper papers and other people said about him, and, and a lot of it was not complimentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd like to kind of be able to see, um, kind of get his candid take on this, on some of these things, and some of my answer responses to my questions. 
I think I'd also like to, to, to tell him that, that um, he was one of the most revered people in, in the history of our country. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think, well, I, he might not have known that when he was shot and killed. I, I, and I don't know if anybody would have known it at that mm-hmm. point. Um, but I would, I would actually like to tell him that because he did, uh, he did keep things together and he was shrewd enough to do that. And so to kind of get into, ask some questions about that shrewdness and then also again, you know, probably maybe be able to relay to him how successful he ended up being. Mm-hmm. If you had to choose like one present person, who would it be? Like- yeah, that's, uh, that's a, that's a great that's a, that's a more difficult, you know, question. You know, I'm kind of into movies. Um, and so I think it'd be interesting to talk to Steven Spielberg. Okay. You know, he, he directed a lot of these, you know, movies that as a kid I, I just absolutely love and that I think are just wonderful movies regardless of, you know, when you grew up. And I think it'd just be interesting to try to see you know, who this person is that came up with his movies. And he still, he still makes, still makes great movies. But, uh, but I think he'd, he'd be an interesting, interesting person to talk to. Second question is about role models in your life. Top role models. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that, that number one's going to be my dad. I mean, he was a, you know, when I would, my first memories, I think a lot of them are, are like going to help or you know, seeing him at his high school football practice. And so when you're a young kid, I mean, boy, that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. football. Um, so I would say, I would say, you know, again, cause he was, um, he was in his sports and, and he was just a really, really good guy and pretty well respected generally, um, in our community. So I would, you know, I think he was really a role model. And then, um, I've had some other coaches, professors, um, a partner uh, that I worked with at the law firm by the name of Dan Wilczek, um, the judge, the federal judge I worked for, Judge Montgomery. Um, it seems like I've been, I think part of, part of my success in finding way th- through is that I've had just every stage of my life, I've had people, great people who are looking out for me and helping me. Um, and it's just, it's one after another. And then it, it, it does kind of start to snowball, right? I mean, once, once you start getting a few things and start things going. So again, I would say there's, there's, you know, my dad probably first and foremost. And then, and then after that, some of my, my high school football coach, um, uh, Clark Bergloff at Mora, you know, he was, uh, he's in the, you know, whatever, the high school coaching hall of fame and just the way that he held himself out and, and how he put our team together was, was um, that was wonderful. So I guess we've kind of talked about some of your biggest accomplishments and failures, but what are some of the, like, what's one thing you really regret, and what's something, what's the best advice you've ever gotten from someone else? Yeah, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets. Um... I've tended if I've had if I've had a decision to make I've usually taken the decision that would have um, I've chosen to do something rather than to not do it and so I don't have a lot of things that I wish I would have done I probably wish that maybe in high school I would have um, been maybe more focused in some of my sports training or whatever because I think one thing that you that you do realize and I guess I owe you and maybe even you Michael are break this but you know once you go to high school college once you're done with that you know kind of sports are are done and so it's kind of your that's your shot really to do that and so it's not something that you can necessarily like pick up and like excel at the way you could maybe you know pick up the piano mm-hmm. or learn to draw or even have a podcast, <laughs> you know, when you get older, right? I mean, yeah. you've got time to do that, but when it really comes to sports, you've got a short window of time in which you're really going to be able to pursue that excellence. And so I think, I think that's one thing that I wish I would have, 
um, maybe maximize or try to maximize more because once you get a job and you have kids and stuff, you really it's really hard to to make time and 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 do that. Now you can't. Some of it you can do, but that's that's probably one thing that once it does pass you by, it's yeah. it's it's past. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I I can't really think of any sort of you know. Advice other than I think just generally being good to people. I think if you're if you're good to other people, I think generally good things, good things will happen for you. I, I really believe that. And I think uh, working out in the business world, whether it was working for a law firm or IBM, you know, treating other people well and being likable and personable, um, I think goes a long way um, to to being to being successful. Well, I think that. Yeah. Ends our podcast. Right um, mark. Thank you for, again for joining. Yeah. My pleasure, guys. And having us here. Um, obviously, this is something that we want to continue to do. So hopefully we get a few more interviewees set up for the next couple of weeks, months. And hopefully we'll have this posted in the next couple of days. But make sure to leave your comments and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other things like that. Yeah. Thanks for being our experiment. <laughs> <Back>. <laughs> my pleasure, guys. All right. See you.